I'm Alan Harmon, along with Peter Cutler at the controls. We welcome today's very special guest, Slade Cleves. Dark clouds gather on the western range. This time it feels like more than just another cold, hard rain. Rivers rising over old flood lines. Here come the prophets calling out the end of times. When the night comes creeping in and the day has left a mark, I'll take you by the hand together through the dark. nurse our bruises and we touch our scars we look up into the night seeing chaos in the stars through endless time the same old dance we stray out into the dark in search of one last chance when the night comes creeping in and the day has left a mark I'll take you by the hand Together through the dark I'll tend the fire Through the night and through the doubt Can't fight the storm outside But we can wait it out This world is hard from the day you're born You can't pick up the rose without a handful of thorns Holding on to the slimmest hope You can beg for mercy or you can pray for a little more rope When the doubt comes creeping in and life has left its mark I'll take you by the hand Together through the dark When the night comes creeping in And the day has left a mark I'll take you by the hand Together through the dark Together through the dark Together through the dark Slade Cleese performing live on Folk Scene, coming to us from his home in Wimberley, Texas. Slade, you're with us on with Rod Picot, right? That's right. My dear old friend from grade school. And what inspired you guys to write that song? Well, I think it came out of the uh, angst of the COVID period, uh, a rough period for everyone, especially traveling musicians. Uh, we had a whole bunch of gigs cancel, and we didn't really know if we are going to be able to do what we do for who, for who knows how long. And so I think it came out of that, and uh, just general unease that's facing the nation these last few years. That's the title song of his new album, Uncanny House Media, Through the Dark. Uh, apart from this being your latest batch of songs, anything in particular that ties these songs together for you? You know, in previous albums, I would start out with two or three songs and then see if they indicated a, a theme or something and try to write the rest of the songs to fit that theme. I don't really do that anymore. I, I write kind of in little bursts, a few times a year, hopefully, if I'm lucky. Sometimes I go a year or two without writing, but uh, 
when I'm in the mode, I, I usually write quite a bit. And um, I'm just focused on writing the best song possible. And if it uh, if it's nothing like the other song in the record, that doesn't bother me that much. Now, that said, uh, my skills, my toolbox is limited. My skills are limited. So I'm not going to be doing like a, a jazz fusion song <laughs> and tune on one song and then a strict folk song on the next. So you don't have to worry about that from, with me. <laughs> what music really first caught your attention when you were growing up? I was seeped in music at an early age. Uh, my parents are both big music fans. They started buying records in the 1950s, so like Hank Williams and Elvis and Buddy Holly and Chuck Berry and um, Mahalia Jackson and, and Ray Charles and then through the 60s and even early 70s. They were big record buyers, and I had access to all those records, and it was really the great stuff of that era. Uh, so I remember um, Good Day Sunshine was one of my very first favorite songs, my favorite Beatles song, and the Hank Williams song, Kalijah, was a favorite, and the uh, Johnny Cash song, Blistered. I remember all those three songs. Blistered made me feel just sort of excited in the allure. You know, I was about a long-legged woman up ahead, you know, four years old. That really piqued my interest. And uh, Kalijah put a lump in my throat and made me want to cry. The sad old, poor old Kalijah. And Good Day Sunshine is just pure joy, you know. So just I just related emotionally to music at a very early age. Now you started off playing the piano, right? Yeah, I was about seven or eight years old, and um, and I wanted to learn how to play guitar. And my folks said, "Well, you're too young for that, so you should learn piano and theory and all that," which I didn't really want to do. And I was a terrible student. I would practice my lessons before breakfast on the day of my lesson from the previous week, you know. So, uh, but when you're that young and uh, your mind is that malleable, you you can't help picking stuff up. So thankfully, I, I did pick up a little bit of piano skills. And I played, uh, I guess, from second grade into like ninth grade or something like that. So about six, seven years. And that's helped me out. You know, I've, I haven't kept it up much, but if, if I need to play something on piano, I can still. Now your dad, did he play guitar? Yeah, I'm playing his guitar right now. I'm playing this 1965 Gibson that he bought when I was a baby. Uh, he just played around the house. He played at parties, clam bakes, gatherings. And he played for me and my little brothers when we were little tiny guys. He played... Uh, he played Puff the Magic Dragon for me. And he played this Hank Williams song. Well, my bucket's got a hole in it. Yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it. Yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it. I can't buy no beer. He played that for me when I was four years old, and I just loved it. And did he teach you how to play the guitar? Um, not really, no. I wasn't allowed to touch the guitar for when I was a child. It was this magical, beautiful thing in the, in the room when he took it out of his case. He didn't play a whole lot. This guitar spent the first uh, 20 years of its life in the case, mostly. I think I just learned from friends. I think maybe Rod Picot may have taught me my first few chords. And and I bought books that had the guitar chord fingering diagrams in them, and I learned chords that way. Not books of guitar learning, but just like a, like a Springsteen book, a song book that had the chords diagrammed out in it. I think that's how I learned. Busy with Slade Cleese on Folk Scene, his new record, Together Through the Dark. How about another song? All right, let's see. Let's do another one from the record. Uh, this is one I wrote with my neighbor, Adam Carroll. Do you know about Adam Carroll? Yeah, I've heard the name. I don't know much about him, but I've heard the name, though. Yeah, I've known him for a long time since he first started out. He's just a few years younger than I am. He's from East Texas, Tyler, Texas. And uh, he's just uh, keeping up that tradition of this sort of John Prine, Guy Clark kind of consummate songwriter. He writes a lot about local people and local characters and local 
places. And he sent me a version of this song or a, a piece of this song again in the middle of the pandemic. And we batted it back and forth on email for a few months until we came up with this. It's called Secondhand. In a dusty old church basement, my daddy lit a second cigarette. Blew the smoke up to the ceiling, letting go of all those old regrets. And as I watch my own smoke settle, it's not too hard to understand. That's so much of who I am today. Well, I just picked up second hand. Was a time that I was searching for something I could call my own. Guess I didn't really have the goods. Now I'm rolling over one more payday loan. Took a load down to the local pond, went back to work for my old man. Driving home tonight to the wife and kids in a Plymouth that I bought secondhand. Cactus growing round that old blue bear We used to roll out across this land Feeling brave and free We were singing Born to Run I go and visit her from time to time Sun setting on that old red pine Just held together with spare parts and Duct tape till you're done No, I'm not the one she fell for She smiles, but I can see it in her eyes And when she stares into the distance I know there's only so much she can hide I'm headed to the town revival Where lost souls reach for heaven's plan I've Gotta find some kind of light tonight Even if it's only second hand Cactus rolling round that old duvet We used to roll out across this land Feeling brave and free We were singing Born to Run I go and visit her from time to time Sun setting on that old red pine Just held together with spare parts Duct tape till you're done In a dusty old church basement, my daddy lit another cigarette. Spoke of all the years he wasted, letting go of all those old regrets. And as I watch my own smoke settle, it's not too hard to understand. That's so much of who I am today. Well, I just picked up second hand. I just picked up second hand Slade Cleese performing live on Folk Scene his new album Together Through the Dark Slade do you like co-writing? 
yeah, you know, I shied away from it in my early years. I was just a little too precious about my writing. I wasn't ready to open up to somebody else in such an intimate process like that. But um, I think Rod cajoled me into it at first. And, he, you know, I'd known him since we were eight years old. So, And we were in our first band together when we were teenagers. And so we have a long history. And, you know, I knew if I was writing with Rod, then he wouldn't be bringing something out of left field that would be inappropriate. And, and on the other hand, he would be able to, uh, you know, I would trust his judgment. I would fully listen if he had a critique of something I said. He's very, very articulate, smart guy. So if something wasn't working with one of my lines, a line that I wrote, I, I trust him to be able to, you know, to, to sniff that out and make sure he caught it before I did and to explain to me why it's not working. And, you know, we have a very good relationship that way, working relationship. And tell us about that early band you guys had together in high school. <laughs> it was our first band. Rod put it together. Uh, he hired me as his keyboard player. He was a singer and guitar player. And uh, he, he uh, recruited a lead vocalist and saxophone player and a drummer from our high school. I think the drummer was 15. The rest of us were 16. We were called the Magic Rats. We did your Springsteen, your Tom Petty, your Jay Giles band. We played in his father's garage. And uh, if we played too late into the night, all of a sudden, all the power, the lights and the power and the amps would all be shut off instantly with no negotiation or anything. It's just that his father was a man of few words. Did you play some gigs out there too? Uh, just a couple. I mean, the vast majority of our playing was in the garage. We played two high school assemblies, I think the junior and the senior assemblies. Uh, and we, I think we played two or three parties. Yeah, we played two private parties that were both shut down by the cops by, for uh, noise complaints. Was our record? What was it like playing the school assembly? It was a huge thrill. I remember um, the first one we did was racked with difficulties. I think Rod remembers them more vividly than I do. I just remember how exciting it was. I was the keyboard player still. I don't think I even did any singing, but I remember like <laughs> I remember I was sitting at my bench at my, in front of my uh, Hammond Porta B organ. It's like a broke down portable B three organ, and uh, like mustering up the courage to to stand up while I played a part, you know, and my legs were shaking and it was so exciting. The whole, you know, whole 400 people of the school were there in the gymnasium auditorium. And, uh, you know, it was just, just pure thrill. And how'd you make the transition to being a singer songwriter? Well, we didn't write any songs with the Magic Rat. It was just covers band. Um, my next band was also a working cover band with some older guys, uh, in between high school and college. And then in college I had a band where, uh, we played sort of half covers, half originals. I was still playing keyboards, but I was submitting songs and singing them behind my keyboard. And then, um, like I think in my junior year of college, I'd been wanting to learn guitar. And uh, in my junior year of college, I went on a study abroad program. And so I was, you know, it was like a fresh start. I had no friends, no no car, no phone, no TV, no family. You know, I just had a guitar and a suitcase full of cassettes that I'd made from those records of my dad's and mom's and my own records and a Walkman. And I just uh, set myself about it. It was a very easy college workload there in the first semester of college, my junior year. And so I concentrated on, actually, I set a date for my first uh, public appearance playing guitar and singing as a busker on the streets of Cork, Ireland is where I was. And I learned about a song a day for a month so I had 30 songs when I went out there, and that year started uh, writing my own songs and doing those in addition to the covers. And the first song I did was uh, 
Buddy Holly's song, Well All Right. I just chose that as my first song because it's such a, a hopeful song of uh, innocence and looking toward the future. And what made you want to start busking? Well, I thought it would be um, a good way to hone my uh, skills, my singing and guitar playing skills and build up my repertoire. And I, I liked the idea of singing on a street corner because there was no captive audience. I wasn't subjecting my amateur self to to people in a room who would want to get up and leave probably because I knew I wouldn't be very good at the start. Um, I knew I had to sort of break my voice in and learn how to project and and my guitar playing was pretty rudimentary at the time. And in Cork, Ireland, where I was, where I was going to school, they had a very vibrant busking scene at the time. Um, it was like before the malls were built around the city. And so it had a very vibrant city center with lots of pedestrian streets um, and lots of people shopping and lots of people on these streets. And a lot of buskers would just like play in an alcove and mostly people would just walk by and, and not, it was sort of rare to have crowds gather around a busker. Um, so I, I was comfortable with that. I thought, oh, this is how I can build up my voice and my skills and not bother anybody too much. You know, if they wanted to stop and listen, they were free to, but they didn't have to. Did you make some good tips? You know, the Irish people are, are famously uh, generous and at, wore itself out, definitely. I, I would usually make, um, I, I, I have it in a diary. I'd count up my change when I got home and I usually make like between eight and 12 pounds, something like that for working for a couple of hours. And that was enough for a couple of pints and a hamburger. And, and, uh, so yeah, I did okay. And I met some fun people and you know what? I had a really sort of a life-changing experience. One night I was playing a Woody Guthrie song, that old song, ain't got no home in this world anymore. And as soon as I finished one verse, this little drunken Irish leprechaun of a man sauntered up and started singing a verse right after my verse. And it seemed like he was making it up on the spot. And that gave me the idea that in order to write songs, well, first of all, it gave me the idea that I could just add verses to any song I wanted to. And I started doing that. I started adding verses to Hank Williams songs. I added a bridge to I'm so lonesome I could fly. I had the audacity to do that. I was young. Didn't know any better. But you know, after I added three or four verses to Ain't Got No Home in This World Anymore, I thought, well, wait a minute, you know, I could take those verses I wrote and just change the melody a little bit, and presto, I have my own song now. So that was a good trick I learned on how to get started writing, because it's it's really hard when you're just sitting there trying to write out of thin air. And when I learned that trick, that really kick-started my songwriting. And I felt a little bit guilty about it. I thought, well, is that plagiarism? And and then I heard Pete Seeger describe this as the folk process. Presenting with Slade Cleaves on Folk Scene, his new release, Get It Through the Dark. We get you to do another song, Slade? Oh, let's see. Um, I wrote this with yet another friend, this guy. His name Brian Koppelman. He's a kind of big-time TV and movie producer and writer in New York City. But he's also a songwriter as a hobby. And so he's been co-writing a bunch this last couple of years. And he's been sending... His uh, like early versions of his songs are partial songs to, to me and some others. And, uh, you know, he's always got some really great ideas. And I fleshed this one out with the idea he sent. It's called Puncher's Chance. And it starts out with a chord. It was a mistaken chord that I played on a demo I made of this song when I was writing it. But it, it sounds kind of cool, even though it's the wrong chord or it's not the chord I intended. Uh, I think this is it. I lit a candle for the lost and lonely And I stepped out into the night When I heard a voice call out my name From under the street lamp light 
I knew him from my barroom days Those were rough and rowdy times Just two old men talking about a life long left behind He said, I know that I ain't ever going back to that old life But I'll admit I sometimes think about those wild, wild nights I could never pass up defending the owner of a working girl from some tanked up low-life poser trying to take her for a twirl or schooling some low-down rounder for dealing that bottom card if you messed with me boys you'd go down hard all the headaches and the handcuffs i'm glad to leave behind and these days i remember where i was last night but sometimes I still think that I could win one last bar fight. Then I saw the old man smiling, I saw the laughter around his eyes. All them stories of my glory days He said, those are mostly lies And when it came to throwing hands How that whiskey made me dance But I never had any more than a puncher's chance He said, I know that I ain't ever going back to that old life And I'll admit I sometimes think about those wild, wild nights I could never pass up defending the honor of a working girl from some tanked up low-life poser trying to take her for a twirl or schooling some low-down rounder for dealing that bottom card if you messed with me boys you'd go down hard all the headaches and the handcuffs i'm glad to leave behind and these days I remember where I was last night But sometimes I still think that I could win With a crooked nose and a battered jaw And a shoulder that never healed right Maybe in the end I guess it's best I've had my last bar fight Slay Cleaves performing live on Folk Scene. You can find that song on his new album, Together Through the Dark. Now, at Tufts University, you studied English and philosophy. Is that right? Yeah, actually, um, I applied as an engineering major because I was good at math and science. I really wanted to be a scientist when I was really young. And then I went to uh, orientation before I entered school. I went to orientation and they took me to the engineering department. And it all seemed very dry and uh, technical and they walked me across the quad, across the campus, and I saw these young people uh, lounging out in the shade of the trees and throwing Frisbees around. I said, ooh, those people. And the, the engineer, who was my guide, kind of scoffed and said, oh, those are liberal arts students. And I stroked my chin. I thought, hmm, liberal arts, that sounds like I might want to do that. So I changed my English major to English. And, um, you know, I had some really great professors and took some poetry classes that really taught me a lot about songwriting, sort of accidentally. And eventually I just kind of got burned out on, I just, you know, read something and then try to articulate 
some sort of thesis about it and write about it and uh, instead of just enjoying the, the, uh, the art itself. And so I, I switched over to philosophy for a while. And by the time when I looked up, it was my senior year and, and like philosophy was the only degree I could possibly get unless I went for a fifth year. So I ended up with a philosophy major. And how'd you make the move to Austin? After college, I, I ended up in Maine again and uh, formed a band with my brother and a friend, a really cool little alt-country type band in 1989 called The Moxie Men out of Portland, Maine. And again, we did some covers, but uh, all of my new originals, I was the primary songwriter. And we did pretty well. You know, We were able to uh, get on the cover of the local weekly magazine and, and build up an audience over a year and a year and a half, two years, and play the big club in town, Raul's Roadside Attraction, where I saw Joe Ely play one time. But uh, of course, we weren't really building a a career to sustain us. We could only play once a month or a couple times a month, something like that. And so I started looking around for a music town, a music industry town where I could build a career, a place that had, uh, you know, producers and radio stations and, a, you know, a, a culture of, of fostering talent. And I grew up in a small town in Maine, so I kind of wrote off New York and L.A. as too big and scary and too competitive and expensive. And I wrote off Boston because I went to school down there and I was kind of burned out on the the traffic and the weather and the terrible parking and stuff like that in Boston. And uh, Minneapolis was hot with, you know, Prince on the scene there, and but that was too cold and grew up in Maine, didn't want to go somewhere cold. And Seattle was coming up as a place, but I wasn't really a grunge guy. And of course, it's too wet there. We checked out Nashville, but that just seemed too commercial and too country. And Austin was bubbling up as a uh, you know, it had, had been a music town for a long time, of course, but I was just starting to hear about Austin around 1991. I read in Rolling Stone about this new thing called South by Southwest, this festival where for a $25 wristband, you could go hear as many bands as you wanted for three or four nights. And uh, in the article, they called Austin uh, Heaven with the Texas Zip Code. And I said, that sounds pretty good to me. And so we, Karen and I, we weren't married at the time. We were living together and we scraped up all our money. She was working a day job. I was playing in bars and playing with the Moxie men. We scraped up all our money and moved uh, the day after Thanksgiving of 1991. We packed up a Dodge Dart Sport and a homemade trailer behind it with all our worldly belongings and drove to Austin, Texas, where we only knew one family who was some friends of the family. They weren't in the music industry at all, but they gave us a, a little head start there, gave us a place to live and get our bearings. Sing with Slade Cleese on Folk Scene. His website is Slade.com, and Slade's S-L-A-I-D. He's got a couple shows coming up in the area, Saturday, April 15th at McCabe's in Santa Monica, their website, McCabe's.com. Then on Sunday, for people in Orange County, he's at Campus Jacks in Newport Beach, and you can go to StellarShows.net for more information about that. How about another song? All righty, let's see. Um, Well, here's a fun one. Since we're on a co-writing theme here, I wrote this one with Wranglin' Ron Coy. He's a... Bigger than life character that I've known for about 20 years in the Austin area. Uh, when I met him, he ran a club called Ski Shores, which was a combination marina, restaurant, music venue. Really great place. And before he ran Ski Shores, I think he sold jewelry in Mexico. Before that, he was a roughneck out in West Texas. And before that, he was a bouncer at a topless club in Corpus Christi. And after he ran Ski Shores, he ran a little ranch, a cattle ranch in Wimberley, Texas, where I live now. And after the ranch shut down, I think he went back to work for the oil company in Colorado. And then, um, 
he went out to Singapore to help build an oil exploration vessel, and then he sailed it around the courts of, of Africa. He didn't sail it. He sailed on it as a tech guy, and then he drilled for oil off the coast of Africa for a while, and then he went out to uh, Oregon and started growing marijuana, and then I saw him about two years ago, just before the pandemic. He was on his way to Terlingua, Texas, which is this very remote sort of hideaway for ne'er-do-wells and sort of dropouts from society and creative types living out in the desert. He was going to help a buddy of his open up a laundromat slash saloon. And that's the last I heard of him for a few months. And then he started texting me, sending me texts about these characters he was meeting out in Terlingua. And one of them was a chili cook-off queen from Dallas. And that inspired this song called the Terlingua Chili Queen. Sandy worked in Dallas in an office in the sky Chatting up the oil men her hair piled up high Bought designer clothes at the gallery a mall Dancing in deep film, she was fairest of them all The husbands and the houses, they'd come and then they go And when the dust would settle, she'd be right back on the road If you wanna get ahead, you got to do the shuck and jive Every day it's out of bed and on to 35 Putting on mascara in the rear view mirror In the backseat of her mind there's a little flash of fear Is this the life she wanted when she was a little girl Or is there something more out in the great big world She started feeling crazy, she started thinking wild She wondered what would happen if she drove 600 miles Get away, she had the motive and the means. That's how a beaten down Dallas gal became the chili queen. After 22 many years chasing wedding rings, she traded in her Lexus, sold off all her things to buy the fancy dinners, to buy the therapy. She headed west on 20 with a chili recipe On the dash a pack of Salem's and a half a pint of gin Not caring if she'd ever see the Metroplex again, no She drove off through the night toward that little border town It's time for starting over, no time for backing down Sunrise interlingual on that truck stop cafe That's how a beaten down Dallas gal became the chili queen She found a place in Agua Fria with a kitchen out the back Bought some pots and pans and she started to relax Stirring and a-tasting out in the open air Sunshine on her skin, desert breezes in her hair She won the chili cook-off, went off to celebrate Dancing at La Kiva like she's about to levitate She kissed her river rat, they started singing, drinking songs Said I'm here for a good time I'm not here for long Now they're headed for the desert In search of mescaline She planned her getaway She had the motive and the means Sunrise interlingual on that truck stop cafe Dancing at the starlight like she was 17 That's how a beaten down Dallas gal became the chili queen
Slade Klee's performing live on folk scene from his home in Wimberley, Texas. His new album, Together Through the Dark. Now, when you got to Austin, you did a lot of open mics, right? Yeah, when I got to Austin, it was starting from the very scratch. It was uh, busking on the street on 6th Street, and it was open mics. That's all I did for the first few months. But it was very productive. On the street, I met some people who were starting a new recording studio, and they, they liked what they heard me uh, singing and they said uh you know we just finished building this studio we'll give you a fantastic rate if you come just like try it out on us and it was almost free basically uh so i made my first cd at this studio that was just starting out and got it real cheap uh that was a great connection on the street um playing open mics i met a couple mark viator and susan maxi also playing the open mics at the uh i think it was at the austin outhouse appropriately named Uh, it was a dingy old place but lovable Met Mark and Susan, and um, they were really great. Mark's a left-handed guitar picker, and Susan's a harmony singer, and Mark's a songwriter. They're both songwriters. Uh, they told me about the Kerrville Folk Festival, which was coming right up. They said, hey, man, you got to send a demo tape, send two songs into Rod Kennedy at the Kerrville Folk Festival, and you might be a winner. And past winners are people like Robert Earl Keane and Lyle Lovett and Tish Hinojosa and um, all sorts of great people. Steve Earle, even, Lucinda Williams. These were all new folk winners when they were young. And so I took two tracks off of this CD that I made uh, that spring, the first spring I was in Austin, sent it to Kerrville, got into the competition, uh, played on the stage and was one of the six winners. And so met some really great connections. But by the time Kerrville rolled around Memorial Day of uh, 92, Karen and I were flat broke and going into debt because, you know, just starting our life over again, 2,200 miles from our home base. So we packed up the Dodge Dart and drove back to Maine that uh, June, and I went and did all my old uh, bar gigs for the next few months, the summer months, and Karen got her job back at the bank for a few months as a temp and drove back down to Austin when it started getting cold again in September or October, I guess, and uh, gave it another try. And that sort of set up a uh, a seasonal pattern that we've kept going for, this will be our uh, 33rd year, I think, of doing that, of... Uh, hightailing it out of Texas when it gets hot and then leave New England when it gets cold. Now, when you got to Austin, were you set on being a professional singer-songwriter? Oh, yeah. That was the plan. Yeah. It was a pie-in-the-sky plan, but that was the plan. Now, I heard you needed money, so you worked for a pharmaceutical company? Yeah. Actually, that was another another, um, highlight of my first few months in Austin. First few years, actually. Yeah, no, I came down to check out uh, South by Southwest, and I'd, I'd just become a fan of Joe Ely back in Maine. I saw him play on a TV show, and I thought, man, if I just move to Austin and can open up shows and for Joe Ely and watch people like that play, you know, maybe I'll learn how to do this. And so that's what I set about doing. But like I said earlier, it was starting from scratch. It was bare bones. We were going broke real quick, and I saw a billboard saying, healthy male volunteers call this number. And I called the number, and it was a phase one medical research trial. Phase one is the one between <laughs> animals. It's the first human trial, basically, of a of a new pharmaceutical. And, uh, you know, they got to test them out on uh, broke college students and musicians, and Austin's a good place, a steady stream of uh, young broke people willing to uh, take a few chances for science and a few bucks. And so I did a whole bunch of those studies. I do two or three of those studies a year, and some of them were you'd be in the facility for a weekend or maybe two successive weekends. And some I was in the facility for, I think the biggest one I was in the facility for three three weeks. Three weeks I was uh, in this sort of hospital facility 
with an IV in my arm, testing out a new antifungal or something and getting blood draws all day long. Yeah, met some cool people in there. Um, Robert Rodriguez, the famous filmmaker. I didn't meet him there, but he, he was in there just right around the time I was in the early 90s. You pay well? Well, better than flipping burgers, better than minimum wage. And it was, you know, for a weekend, I think uh, if you went in for a, a weekend, it was like 120 bucks a day. So you'd come out of there with maybe 250 bucks for a weekend or, or 500 bucks if you did two weekends. And, you know, that's way better than manual labor. I've done plenty of those jobs too. Now those early albums like The Promise and um, Life's Other Side, were those self-released? The Promise was my first collection first release and it was done uh with the help of a local uh record la- uh, not a record label but sort of a record label a record store basically that acted as a label um you know it wasn't distributed or anything like that i don't think it was just sold locally and at my shows i think that's true of the first actually the second one was also sort of a, a local record store group of friends kind of pulling the money together to help me get it duplicated and get it in a few local stores so it was just sort of a local label the first two and the third one was on my own label, I think. Um, it was a cassette, actually, that one. Uh, so, yeah, I had three indie releases and then a few with Rounder, four albums with Rounder, and then uh, three with Music Road, which was Jimmy LaFave's label in Austin, which was kind of a bare-bones label. And then the last two have been totally self-released, which is a lot of work, I'm remembering. You forget how much work it takes to put out a record. I'm sort of missing the record label now, I have to admit. We're visiting with Slade Cleaves on Folk Scene, his new release, Together Through the Dark. Can I get you to do another song, Slade? Well, sure. Let's see. Um, I think we've done all the ones from the record that I have in my brain right now that I've memorized and everything. Uh, so we'll do an old favorite here. Let's see. It's a tribute to my friend Don Walzer, who was a West Texas country singer and songwriter. And he... Uh, Mostly just did it as a hobby on the side with his friends. He had a band called the Pure Texas Band. He said, we play top 40 country music, the top country music of the 1940s. And at the age of 60, he put out his first CD, and it got reviewed in Playboy magazine, and that's where he got the moniker, the Pavarotti of the Plains. Up at Henry's Bar and Grill On the north side of town I saw a man reach up to heaven And pull a song on down To the smoke-filled room of misfits Young and old and brave and small And with the laughing eyes of the Buddha He shared it with us all Every soul in that roadhouse Felt the power of his song Life's joys and sorrows He brought us together as one They called him God's own yodeler The Pavarotti of the plains There's no bigger voice in Texas Don Walzer was his name He was raised out in the Mesa Just a boy when his mama died But daddy at the mill all night In that empty house he cried He'd climb up in the Sing his broken heart The neighbors gathered in the yard Listening in the dark Singing songs about West Texas Cowboys and old John Deere's Rodeos and drive-ins And the thrill of teenage years They called him God's own yodeler The Pavarotti of the plains 
There's no bigger voice in Texas Don Walzer was his name Oh, to love From the honky-tonks and dance halls to the grand old Opry, Don Walzer brought a smile to every fan who came to see. Now it's oxygen and wheelchairs and trips to the docks in town. His days kept getting longer, he knew he was glory-bound. My friend, your work is done here, and I'd say you did it well. Your voice rings down from heaven all the way to the devil himself And now you're God's own yodeler high above the Texas plains We miss you here in Austin, with love we speak your name Oh, to Slade Clee is on Folk Scene. That's a great song, Slade. I love playing that song. Don actually came out here and played here a couple times. Oh, did you get to see him? Yeah, I saw him a couple times. He was great. He's one of the best, one of the one of a kind. I actually have an autographed picture on the wall. Oh, nice. That I do too. Great. Looking at it right now. Now, your last two albums are on Candy House Media, which is your own label. Is it really hard for an independent artist these days to put up records? It is. You know, it's the, the two sides of the coin where there are all these tools available, um, for an independent artist, uh, you don't have to sign with a label and sign away your rights and give up all that money. There's ways to raise money, crowdfunding and all that. There's there's ways to upload your music um, to streaming sites and download sites. There's ways to promote your music on all those sites. But the thing is, it's just a lot of work. You got to make sure all your songs are registered with the proper ISRCs and ISWCs and all this stuff to make sure you're copyright the songs are all copyrighted and registered with sound exchange for when they get played on digital radio and um, and on BMI for when they get on terrestrial radio and international agencies and uh, it's just it's never ending it's never ending work I don't mean to complain but uh, yeah like I said earlier <laughs> a label a label does a lot of work for you if you have a good label so I'm a little uh burned out on the label stuff recently. I, I love writing songs and making records in the studio and playing with my friends and playing for people. And But there's a lot more to it than that. Now, this is the third album you've done with uh, Scrappy Judd Newcomb. Tell us a little bit about him. Scrappy's uh, sort of an Austin legend by now. He's been in Austin a few years more than I have. I think he started playing when he was just a teenager in Austin, 19, I think, and uh, in the 1980s. And He's played with a ton of different bands and artists. Uh, he played with the, the great uh, keyboardist Ian McLagan, who was in the Faces and the on Small Faces, and played with the Rolling Stones and stuff. Rod Stewart. He played with Ian McLagan. Uh, he played in a band called uh, the Highwaymen and uh, the Loose Diamonds. They became the Loose Diamonds. They were a big band in town when I got here. And he played with uh, Beaver Nelson and Walter Trager and a bunch of my, you know, some of the guys that came up when I did in the in the early '90s, mid '90s. And I played with Matt, the electrician, and it just goes on and on. 
just a really great guitar player and uh, singer. He started producing records uh, 20-odd years ago, and I got a hold of some of those records and put out his own records. He's a good songwriter in his own right as well. I just like the sound of his records, and I just I was a fan of his guitar playing. He plays with a lot of passion, kind of a youthful passion and energy. And so uh, he was really hard to get a hold of as far as uh, getting him to play with me because he was so busy, but uh, he parted ways with one of the acts he was really busy with for a while, and so I snapped him up, scooped him up as soon as I could. We started playing together, and it, it was just as good a fit as I thought it would be, and um, it was time to make a new record, and I, th- I thought uh, he might do a good job at the helm, and he did a fantastic job with the, uh, the record Still Fighting the War that I put out in uh, 2013, I think, and uh, so I just kept him on the payroll ever since. How did you get uh, hooked up with Rounder Records? Uh, let's see. Um, it was probably uh, 1994, I think. Maybe 93, even. Early days, I played an unofficial South by Southwest showcase. So it would have been like probably 30 years ago, 29 or 30 years ago this spring. It was on a loading dock uh, at the back of the store, which was near the convention center where South by Southwest was headquartered. A guy showed up, and it was Ken Irwin, one of the three founders of Rounder Records. And the story I heard later was that he stays with some friends of mine named uh, Cash and Roger, Cash Edwards and Roger Allen. Roger Allen used to host one of these open mic uh, features that I used to play at Threadgills called uh, Wednesday Sitting and Singing for Supper at Threadgills. I think Jimmy Del Gilmore was the host for a long time, and Roger Allen was the MC. Anyway, Cash and Roger were old friends of Ken Irwin from Rounder, and Ken actually used to stay with them when he when he came to visit Austin. And w- w- when we showed up for South by Southwest every year, he'd ask Cash and Roger, so so who's the young up-and-comer I should check out? And I said, oh, you got to check out this young kid Slade from Maine. You know, he's a he's a damn Yankee, but, uh, you know, he's a good kid, and he's got some good songs. And So he was convinced, and he came to the loading dock and heard my set, and uh, I think we exchanged cards. I don't think we even exchanged cards, but somehow... Uh, Oh, I know what it was. I think he came to a few of my shows subsequently over the next couple of years. He sort of expressed some interest but didn't offer out any help or anything at the time. He was just letting me know that he was keeping an eye on me. And you know, I'd send him my schedule and whenever I played shows outside of Texas or up in New England. And um, at one point, I sent him a demo in early 96. I didn't hear back from him, a demo of new songs. But I ran into him at South by Southwest. And he said, we chatted, and then just as he was leaving the door, he said something like, oh, I think we might want to help you out with this next record. And, I, and, he, and he left, and as he's leaving, I said, how do I get a hold of you? And he said, oh, there's this new thing called email. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what it was. I wasn't online or anything. So I literally I went out and bought a modem and got an AOL account just so I could be in touch with the head of the record label. And he heard that story years later and uses the story as an illustration of how I don't know if somebody's really dedicated and really driven and really hungry, <laughs> which I was at the time. And that really opened the doors for you being a rounder, right? It sure did, yeah. Um, it gave me, uh, you know, a budget for the first time instead of just, you know, scraping together some money to record a couple days at a time. It, it gave me a little bit of a budget. It was pretty tiny, but enough of a budget to to hire a good studio and a producer. And uh, thankfully, uh, I gave that same demo to Gurf Morlicks, who I'd Seen play around town, a great guitar player, um, mainly famous for playing with Lucinda Williams for many years and producing a couple of records of hers. 
in the 90s. Uh, he liked my demo, he liked the songs, and he agreed to produce the first record, and he did a fantastic job, of course, uh, and he was very generous with his time, helping me promote it. He went to Folk Alliance with me and uh, played with me on the road for some promotional shows, and I got a lot of really nice reviews and a lot of good Americana airplay. I think it got up to number two on the Americana charts that were just starting out at the time, the Gavin Americana chart. It was good foot in the door. It didn't quite build me enough audience to be self-sustaining. I was still losing money every year. I was, I was starting to try to tour outside of Texas and Maine, which were previously the only places where I had shows. I was trying to go to Missouri and Chicago and North Carolina, where they were playing my record on these Americana radio stations. But it just wasn't quite enough to build a crowd. And, and but uh, just three years later, when Broke Down came out in two thousand. That's when everything really clicked, and so I had the momentum going, and the song broke down that Rod Picot wrote most of, but I recorded it first, so I got all the glory. I got on a lot of radio stations, cool, you know, independent and community-run uh, radio stations, and uh, got invited to some festivals, and that, that really built my career. The year 2000, everything changed. We're visiting with Slade Cleese on Folk Scene. He'll be playing in the area a couple different places at McCabe's. Santa Monica, 3101 Pigo Boulevard. That's Saturday, April 15th. Their website, mccabes.com. And then he goes down to Orange County on Sunday, April 16th at Campus Jacks. 3950 Campus Drive in Newport Beach. Their website, well, you want to go to the stellarshows.net to find out more information about that. They're putting that on the shows. And his new album, entitled Together Through the Dark, on his own Candy House Media, his website, slate.com. Well, Slate, it's great having you on the show today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for tracking me down. This has been fun. And can we get you to close out one more song, please? Sure. We'll do the song I generally close out with. A song that's on the Broke Down record I wrote with Steve Brooks, a local singer-songwriter, another one that I met in the open mic circuit when I was first in town. I think the very first time I heard him play, he, did, he played a song called Everett. I think he called it the Dead Poets Society back then. I convinced him to change the name. But it's a song that I recorded on a rounder album of uh, an album of songs of friends of mine. Beautiful song about the poet Everett Maddox. But uh, he helped me write this song called One Good Year. Steve Brooks. It's New Year's Day, just like the day before. Same old skies of gray. Same empty bottles on the floor Another year gone by And I'm thinking once again How can I take this losing hand And somehow win Just give me one good year To get my feet back on the ground I've been chasing grace Grace ain't so easily found One bad hand can devil a man Chase him and carry him down I gotta get out of here Just give me one good year I'm burning oil Engines running rough Drive from job to job But it's never enough I can't find the will To 
Just stop and get away Some kind of chains holding me down To make me stay Just give me one good year To get my feet back on the ground I've been chasing grace Grace ain't so easily found One bad hymn can devil a man Chase him and carry him down I gotta get out of here Just give me one good year It's a bitter wind In your face every day It's the little sins That wear your soul when you start giving in Where do the promises all go? Will your darkest hour Write a blank check on your soul? Just give me one good year To get my feet back on the ground I've been chasing grace Grace ain't so easily found One bad hymn can devil a man Good one can turn him around I gotta get out of here Just give me one good year I gotta get out of here Just give me one good year Just give me one good year Slade, thanks again. Well, thank you. You can listen to Folks Today's very special guest, Slade Cleves. I'm Alan Larman. This program was engineered by Peter Cutler.